CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 29 In digitalization we trust What can CEE and the EU learn from Estonia? I should have called the Estonians when we were setting up our healthcare website, said Barack Obama when visiting Estonia in 2014. And for good reasons, because a small Baltic country is a global leader in the digitalization of public services. The tech magazine Wired called the Estonians the world's most digitally advanced society. Other newspapers, for example Financial Times, seized the Estonian government as a role model to follow since most of its functions operate online, including healthcare, voting and taxes. You can now do almost everything digitally in Estonia, except for getting married or divorced. Well, at least for now. Officials report that through its digitized public services, Estonia saves over 1,400 years of working time and 2% of GDP annually. The country has its own data embassies, grants digital nomad visas and e-residencies. Moreover, Estonia is a European leader in terms of startups and tech unicorns per capita. Until 1991, Estonia was a Soviet republic. But since regaining its independence, it has succeeded in becoming a digital frontrunner not only in CE, but also in the world. Since the pandemic hit, the demand for digital solutions have risen unprecedentedly. So what can CE, and also the EU, learn from Estonia? Can this Baltic country provide answers to the digital challenges that we are facing today? How can other countries follow in its footsteps? And on the flip side, isn't an e-state particularly vulnerable to cyber attacks in the times of an increased uh, hybrid warfare and cybercrime? These are some of the questions that we'll be discussing today. My name is Marina Tarik. I am a research associate at the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. My guest in today's episode of CE, Central Europe Explained, is Erika Pirmetz. Erika is a digital transformation advisor at the e-Estonia Briefing Center, which is a governmental body for the development and promotion of the e-Estonia brand. So, hello, Erika, and thank you for joining us today from Tallinn. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we are very curious to hear more about Estonia's success story. Uh, so let me jump right in and ask you, what is Estonia's secret? Like, what has led to the country's tremendous digital success? Yeah, well, let's talk about the roots of all of this. Um, I suppose that you're wondering that why did digitalization happen precisely in Estonia? Well, there are several factors that came together in the end. Um, to give you a bit of context, Estonia is a sparsely populated country with a relatively small population and had a small government budget of around 130 million euros when it regained independence in 1991. Quite frankly, it couldn't offer the traditional bureaucratic structures because of a lack of money and manpower as well. And well, another factor may very well have been the Estonian culture. Well, you see, Estonians are not the most talkative people on earth. So for us, digitalization would save not just time and money, but also the need to 
interact with people at government offices. Um, Estonia has implemented a system called digital by default, and this means that government authorities are tasked to offer their offline services online in a digital format as well from the beginning. As you can see, these developments to turn digital were based on really bare necessity um, and as much as a forward thinking mindset as well. So the digital minded leadership has also been an essential part of it because of course, there were also challenges in the beginning, and it took really great courage to invest in IT solutions and take the information technology route, because it was not as default as, as we now think it, it was back then. And another helping factor was that Tallinn was the home of the Soviet Cybernetics Center since 1960s which also made possible to use in-country competence we needed to run the digitalization processes. And when I jump now to the present day, nowadays 99% of the public services are accessible online. However, no one is forced to use the digital way. There are still possibilities for the classical paper forms to be used. It's just that it often saves time and money to consume e-services instead. And when I say that 99% of the services have been digitalized, it's only the number of public services, but there are many private e-services that are accessible as well, such as banking or telecommunication, shopping, etc. And in terms of the benefits that digitalization has handed us, one is undoubtedly the save of time five full days per year for the citizen and thousands of working hours for the civil servant saved. In addition, the economic gain, of course, 2% of the GDP is saved annually. Um, and that's thanks to the use of digital signature. Also, there are many hidden parts in digitalization as well. Currently, we are an advanced society with the standard of living having risen massively since the Soviet times. But looking back, we cannot be sure we would be in the same economically and socially good position without the digitalization implemented in society in the 90s. So, however, I've got to mention that there is no analog or digital Estonia separately. There's only one coherent Estonia where Almost all the governmental services are available online as well. And it is an integrated part of our lives. Um, so, so much so that we don't especially emphasize when we're about to use the e-service. I would say that I'm still consuming the various government provided services, but only the difference is, is in the format of how I do it. I imagine that your personal data, such as, for example, home address, is stored in local municipality. And very same logic applies to me. But I provide the address and I change the address when I move via online registry. So the format of collecting data is different, but the principle isn't. Thank you. This is really a fantastic explanation about how uh, Estonia has become such a digitalized society. And you touch upon 
a few aspects of everyday life and what you have explained to us right now, you mentioned the e-signature, for example, but I was wondering that we sometimes don't understand what a digitally advanced society really means in practical terms. So could you, could you tell us, um, maybe also give examples from your personal life about how does enhanced digitalization impacted everyday life of people in, in Estonia? Yeah, so I, I was born in the beginning of 90s, so I am just a bit younger than our re-independent republic and slightly younger than all our digital society. So when it was time for me to go to school or to start working or to, to really develop the first interactions with my own government, I don't know any other way than the digital alternative that is provided to us. So when, when I started to, to go to school, and then I already had a computer lessons or the basic ICT skills implemented already in my primary education. And that was really a normal part uh, growing up in the society. And as well, I remember seeing my parents declare taxes online, um, to use the e-banking services and when you see your parents do it um, then you you really grow up this becomes really a part of your everyday normality and and you you do not know a different way of how to do it because you learn by example and for me it was the same way so whenever I had to declare my first taxes I naturally took the electronic pre-filled form that took me three minutes to to check and submit on to to expect back the the tax return so these are really the practical things um, our society is not different in this sense that when we talk about that we are really advanced digital society and then perhaps you will have like um, idea that we are using a flying cars or self-driving cars every day or using the VR glasses to, to move around the city or that sort of, no, we're, we are a very normal society just like any other. It's just that many of the services that we consume, either public or private, can be done online and simply save a lot of uh, time consuming these services. But Estonia is also open to digital foreigners, uh, am I right? Because you grant uh, digital nomad visas, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. In addition, also the startup visa and one aspect of digital identity also that we, we would really call like a ground jewel of, of the electronic identity. And that is e-residency, because as I mentioned before, Estonia is a relatively small country. We have 1.3 million people living here. So when we developed all these services already and, and having 99% of the services available online, all the people using already their uh, electronic identity, then we thought, okay, well, what, what next? Where do we expand? And the, the next logical step, of course, is, is abroad to, to discard the physical territorial limits and to offer the same electronic identity for all the citizens of the, of the world, really. So whenever you are 18 or older, then you, you can apply for the e-residency and benefit the same 
conditions that Estonian uh, citizen or resident does in terms of uh, electronic identity. Either you want to set up a business here to use these services, make use of the digital signature. It is all possible through the e-residency program. Without being in, in Estonia? Without actually physically being in Estonia, there are a lot a lot of people in uh, the South of America, for example, who have registered as e-residents, but have never ever physically set a foot on Estonia. That's very interesting. I would like to talk a little bit about, um, about a cyber warfare, about cyber crime. You partially covered it already, but I know that in 2007, Estonia faced a series of massive cyber attacks. Um, could you tell me what is the response to such cyber threats? We know that there's eye voting in, um, in Estonia. How can you ensure that uh, your elections are safe? Yeah, really good question and very, very important topic nowadays because being a digital society means being constantly exposed to cyber threats and staying aware of, of their existence. With solid investments in its cybersecurity infrastructure, Estonia has developed extensive expertise already in this area, becoming one of the most recognized and, and valued international cybersecurity experts as well. Uh, with the baseline national digital identity, which includes the national ID card and its additional tokens such as mobile ID or their residence card or the digital ID or their e-residency card. That ensures the uniformity of a person's identity on the internet and allows for authentication and digital signings. This is one form of how to keep person's identity uh, safe and authenticated. So there's no way around cybersecurity for any country these days. And more importance needs to be drawn on the topic. Um, yes, Estonia has really simple, not easy, but simple response to cyber threats. Whenever you launch an e-service, you already build in a cybersecurity component there. You need to design the service safety by default. Any critical component of uh, cybersecurity is built in a partnership with our private sector. So when something has happened in Estonia in terms of cybersecurity, the solutions were made in collaboration with the private sector. Of course, the integrity of the data and systems can be ensured implementing the highest security standards and solutions in the data infrastructure. Like Estonia deployed KSI blockchain technology already in 2008 as a response to the 2007 cyber attacks that you already mentioned. It was absolutely the first cyber attack in such a massive scale against a nation state ever known. So the ability to 100% trust government data in any situation is one of the foundational capabilities of, of any nation state. And Estonia stands by the principle that in critical situations, transparency is our friend. 
after 2007 attacks, it was really the, the transparency and the honest communication that helped to, to raise the trust for the government services. And you need to keep in mind the, the context in general that the attacks are going to happen anyway, and there is no way to escape them. So we need to learn to, to manage and to, to talk about them as well. And even though 2007 was our biggest cyber attack that we received, but at the same time, we are receiving all the time smaller attacks or tryings from different parties who try to breach into the various databases and systems. So this is a constant battle that you try to improve consecutively. It's not that when you, you put the highest technology in place and then you think, okay, my job here is done, that I have secured everything. No, this is a constant battle. And very curiously, you asked about iVoting. Yes, the security of the data there is on many levels, it has um, been verified in the, in the sense that we always invite people from abroad to monitor our iVotings. And we offer for that the, the code of the application used in iVoting that you're welcome to oversee that no manipulation or any tampering of the data or any fraud um, could be done. But to really ensure the integrity and safety of every voting, there is a new application launched for every single voting separately. So that legacy from the last votings wouldn't be anyhow changing the accuracy or the safety of the current votings as well. And once me as a citizen, when I have given my vote in the beginning, it is connected to, to my identity so that I could go around with a different uh, device. For example, when I vote on my computer, on my laptop, then I, after I cast my vote, I receive a QR code, which I can scan on a separate device using my smartphone, for example. That would lead me back to my voting ticket that say, so I could really double check that my cast vote has been exactly the way I intended it to be. And then in a matter of minutes, it will disconnect from the person who is me. So when the election committee will receive my vote, it is completely detached from any of the personal information to provide anonymity of my vote. So this is more or less the, the logic of how the iVoting uh, functions and why it is a safe solution. And no matter how tightly we secure our data infrastructure, and no matter the, how high the technology is being deployed, the weakest link in the chain of cybersecurity is always the human component. So commonly speaking, if you install locks on your door, but never lock them, then it's not the fault of technology when, when you're robbed, really. So similarly, when we need to ensure the basic hygiene 
of using the internet and e-services broadly in the society to counter cyber crimes, the identity theft, uh, ransomware, phishing, etc. So in conclusion, safe environments and technologies should be implemented hand in hand with educating the users in terms of uh, cyber hygiene. So this was a very beautiful comparison uh, of the locks on the door. I'm thinking that during the pandemic, many elections were postponed because um, of, of, uh, of the COVID-19 situation. And it would have been so much easier if I voting was in place there. And I suppose that there is probably also an enhanced interest in um, online election worldwide. And could you tell me, because you work for Estonia. And Estonia is a mental body for the development and promotion of the Estonia brand, but you also uh, cooperate with um, other governments and uh, share, you share your solutions. And could you tell me, have you noticed this interest coming from abroad? Uh, do you cooperate with countries, especially in Central and Eastern Europe or in the Danube region, and, and share your expertise, um, exchange your experiences? What does it look like? Yes, absolutely. There, there are many cooperations between Estonia and different countries. And this is the exactly the, the mission why our um, briefing center was was brought in place to to share the the competencies to to make contacts between different uh, interested parties and to really share our own experience as this being a digital society and having digitalization in place in such a large scale is really a new topic and we are kind of a trendsetters in, in this field. So naturally we we want to raise the awareness of how it has impacted our own country and and made many processes easier. So I wouldn't point out that the the interest of, of Estonian digital solutions is particularly growing because of i-voting, but the digitalization in society as, as a broad phenomenon. And the CEE countries, they are relatively proactive, I would say, in that manner. And last year, for example, Slovakia was one of the countries that had the most delegates participating in the programs of our center. Similarly, active visitors have been from Slovenia or Romania or, or Czech Republic. Uh, the topics of collaboration have mainly been on a governmental level. We hosted, for example, the vice prime minister from Slovakia and, and also other government advisors and officials from different countries. So there, there are collaboration on, on the highest government level. Then we have provided different delegates and officials with the general briefs about Estonia. Also carried out longer programs to introduce them, the Estonian IT companies during several days when when the delegations uh, spend in our center. And this was with the incentive to investigate the common interests between other governments and Estonian IT companies for the possible future collaborations in digitalization processes. So when we see that there is a, a genuine interest and, and other governments want to 
implement similar solutions, then, then our companies, IT companies, offer both the, the consultation expertise and also their technical solutions. And also, to many countries, we have introduced different European Union funding possibilities that support planning and innovation in digitalization, particularly, um, and in the digitalization related topics. So there are, there are extra funds that are available from European Union to make the digitalization really happen in your country. So to conclude, there are various collaborations already in place and several points of contact also developed between Estonia and different CE countries. However, we are not like an, as you, you correctly pointed out, that we are only a governmental center made to, to gather together expertise. So, and neither as a government, we are not enforcing partner in, in this sense. So the Estonian Briefing Center has a more consulting role and we've taken on a mission to raise the awareness about digitalization uh, putting Estonia as a prime example and and also to share contacts between different sides who, who have a common point of interest in this topic. Very interesting and very inspiring what you're saying and also um, what Estonia uh, does. Um, Erika, um, this episode is slowly coming to an end and I'm certain that um, it has made our listeners curious about the subject matter. It made me curious for sure. And I would like to ask you for more inspiration. So is there any artwork, uh, be it a book, a movie, painting, you name it, that is related to our today's topic and that you would like to recommend to our listeners who would like maybe to learn more about Estonia and e-Estonia? Well, I would shamelessly right now promote our own content we share here at the Estonia Briefing Center. And as I mentioned before, Estonia is the leader in digitalization and we have taken the mission to, to also talk about the topic and share valuable know-how to everyone interested. So if my brief overview about the state of digitalization in Estonia made your interest spike, then I would kindly suggest to continue listening our own podcast, The Art of Digitalization. There you will hear directly the insight and the personal experience of many people who were directly involved in building our e-state and many of the conversations go into really curious details, into memoirs of the people involved back in the day, how it all became, what solutions were possible, how was the political, social environment, what were also the setbacks and how were they overcome. So this is more of a deep dive into, into the digitalization processes in Estonia. And, and also for more info, if you want to read a more facts or figures or to see the e-Estonia timeline or visit our digital expo, also that is really nice and informative, then our homepage is eestonia.com. Thank you very much. I have just become your follower on, 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 on follower of your podcast. Um, Erika, thank you very, very much for sharing your expertise with us today. I guess that some of our listeners are already applying for digital nomad visas after listening to it. 
Um, warm regards to Talon. Thank you so much for having me here in the podcast. I think that this is a wonderful initiative to to spread more information and to help people become more aware of the benefits of digitalization in general. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being with us. So you enjoyed this podcast? Then tune into another CEE episode and subscribe to the IDM podcast series on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Acast, or elsewhere you get your podcast. And also have a look at the rest of our work on our website www.idm.at. For any feedback or podcast collaboration, feel free to contact me at e.honchaberry at idm.at. The email is in the description below. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, powered by Erste Group. With the ongoing participation of Daniela Paiden, Marvin Atalik, Daniel Martinek and Sebastian Schaeffer. Production and editing, Emma Hunterberry, Proofreading, Jack Gill. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institut für die Danube Region und Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.